0: Good evening everyone and happy Tuesday to you all. Well, I hope you're having a great start to your week. Cesar Galarza, Director of Sales here, welcoming you to our weekly Neolife Tuesday night product conference call. Here we are, February and love is definitely in the air. We know that Valentine's Day is what most people remember or think about for this month, but February is also Heart Health Awareness Month and it's only fitting that tonight we we discuss heart health. And you know what, guys? I'm just so excited about our special guest tonight. He's actually one of my personal Neolife heroes and a legend around the Neolife globe. He is director of the Scientific Advisory Board, and his name is John Miller. We got John on the call tonight, and it's always great to hear from John. And You know, I just really enjoy how he can explain and break down very complex scientific information in a format that us non-scientists can fully understand. So we'll be hearing from him and our home guest, Cheryl Siskroyd, as well. We are ready now to introduce our next guest, and her name is Cheryl Siskroyd, product manager for Neolife North America. Take it away, Cheryl.
1: Well, thank you very much, Caesar, for introducing me, and do we have a treat for you. Now, Neolife is a company that has a glorious past, and who better to talk about our past than no other than John Miller? And today, we work hard to pioneer and foresee the needs of individuals today. Unfortunately, this is also true with heart health. And so, today we're gonna go over three different pillars or amplifiers that's gonna go over heart health. The first one is gonna go ahead and look at our weight loss. Very important for keeping the heart nice and healthy. The mind, the body, and the heart. The second pillar we're going to go over is going to be monitoring and regulating our blood glucose levels. And the third one is going to be our diet. So often, because of today's society, our diets have changed, and modified, and we need some help to fill those nutritional gaps. So, John, thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well first of all it's a pleasure to be here with you Cheryl. You know it's uh, always fun to share this information that we glean at the scientific advisory board level with people because you know information is about power and when you give people information our belief is you empower them to take care of themselves and that's that's really the key so it's exciting for me to be here. Um, Most of the people on the line here might know me already because I've been around since DIRT not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> I've been around, this is my 50th year, and in all of that time, I have in one way or another been involved in the, the product, either from the manufacturing or the product science and technology research level. And it's really been a, a great treat to be uh, part of the Scientific Advisory Board and participate in what has been really pioneering work. I always like to point out to people that a lot of the things that are accepted as norm today in the scientific and academic community, are things that uh, Neolife and the Scientific Advisory Board actually started thinking about or working on decades ago. And as we go through today, probably some of that will come out, so uh, um, really looking forward to this.
1: Nice. Well, it's a great time to have you here because, yes, it is February. And February is Valentine's Day, but more importantly, it is heart health awareness time. It is. And what better to talk to you about it, because recently we found even reports show that this rate is increasing for the first time. Is this true, John?
2: Yes. Well, you know, heart disease is the largest, by far, the largest killer, or has been by far the largest killer, though cancer rates seem to be sneaking up as well. And... For, yes, yeah, six or seven hundred thousand people a year in the United States, uh, the heart problem is the one that ends their life, sadly. The reason I say sadly is for the most part, heart disease is preventable. Gain. Uh, not that you can completely eliminate it, I suppose, but for the majority of people, um, it's a preventable thing. It's a product of lifestyle and diet and the like. So uh, yeah, matter of fact, I was just down at the Scripps Institute meeting over the weekend. It's uh, a multi-day dive, deep dive into natural supplements and their roles in maximizing health potential and minimizing disease risk. And heart was a big component of that, partly because, as you pointed out, um, recently the statistics on deaths from heart disease have changed. For the number of years, they seem to be going down, at least depending upon how you measure them. But in a CDC report not that long ago, they showed that they actually increased, heart deaths actually increased in the uh, years between 2011 and 2014, something on the order of 4%. Wow. And another study that came out at the end of... Uh, 2016 showed that in 2016 alone, they went up by almost 1% death from heart disease. So, you know, I think it's probably a little wake up call for everybody that says, you know, despite what you might think, heart disease is still a big thing we all have to consider. So yes. it's going to be fun sharing some of this late breaking data.
1: Most definitely. Well, in in Earth of That, we want to talk about one way to keep yourself nice and healthy. And also I know we're talking about keep your heart healthy and that's weight management, a very important component. And with that, I knew we were talking briefly about the idea of a what I like to call a crash diet. Now people think sometimes what it looks like isn't always what it seems. So although crash diets and being skinny sometimes looks good might not be the best recourse.
2: Yeah, actually, you're absolutely right. You know, the crash diet is an oxymoron, if you think about it, because you probably didn't do a crash weight gain, so (laughs) you're probably trying to do a crash diet is an oxymoron. So in that context, people who stop and think about it, if you actually spend a little time rationalizing it, you probably know that that's not a smart thing to do. But science continues to show that that's not only not a smart thing to do, it's a potentially harmful thing to do. There was a study recently published out of Oxford that looked at crash diets and how they impact the heart. You have to remember that diet or otherwise, your heart is working 24-7, 365. It doesn't get a break. It's not like a lot of other things uh, where when you sit down, your joints aren't working so hard anymore. And and, uh, when you're sleeping, other parts of your body go into different sort of uh, defense modes. The heart has to work all the time. And what they found is when people get on crash diets, these are diets that not only are restricted in calories, 600 800 calories a day, but also um, because of the way they restrict the calories, they restrict fundamental compounds of the diet that are essential to heart health. Protein and amino acids, for example, your heart is a muscle that is in a constant state of regeneration, and you can't regenerate heart muscle or any muscle without protein and amino acids to do that. But some of these crash diets just seem to ignore that. It's more about... You know, what you look like on the scale, not what you look like in terms of your of your health. So in this particular study, they showed that um, sh- in a very short period of time, just a couple of weeks after embarking on these crash diets, mm-hmm. um, they found fat intrusion into the heart muscle. Now, typically muscle is lean and doesn't have a lot of fat intrusion, but your heart and your body is sort of limited in what it can do. It has to deal with whatever you give it, and it has to utilize whatever is available. So if it doesn't have, because you're restricting it, some of the more building blocks that it might need, it will grab what's available. And this motivation of fat from the stores of your body, which if you're on a weight loss program you probably got plenty, um, into the heart muscle is scary because it actually depletes the heart muscle's ability to do its job. So you may feel better by looking at the number on the scale and maybe think you look better by looking at the picture in the mirror, but in reality, biochemically, in terms of your holistic health, you're likely doing yourself a great deal of harm.
1: So no crash diets this summer. Instead, I know NeLife has a weight loss pack and they even have the weight loss management program. And now, although crash diets are not healthy, managing your weight, definitely a plus. Now, how does this differ? How does our weight loss management program, why is it healthy? Why is it different?
2: Well, I don't think you can understate or actually overstate the importance of managing your weight in terms of your long-term health in general, but in particularly relationship to heart health. We know that people who are overweight for prolonged periods of time put strain on their heart that would not otherwise be there. And and it does it in many ways. For example, if you take normal blood pressure, say it was uh, 110 over 80, and for every point of elevation for every pound that you put on above weight re- results in a point of elevation above that so let's say that if you're 20 pounds overweight and your blood pressure is a uh, 140 over 90 mm-hmm. um, for every pound you take off you'll get one point of reduction in blood pressure just from simply dieting so if you went to lose that 20 pounds you would be back into 110, 120, over 75 or so, which your cardiologist and your primary care physician would say, good job. Thanks. So just from that simple thing. But beyond that, controlling your weight has a much bigger implication to heart health. We know that when you're overweight or obese, um, that puts you on a path towards diabetes. And the number one symptom of diabetes and prediabetes is risk of heart disease. So that uh, there's a very direct connection. We've known about it, I think, since very early on. But when I say scientifically, very early on, since the 60s and 70s probably. But it has not come to the forefront as, as to be... As clearly understood as it is today, that relationship between the weight of the body and the strain that it puts on your body when you do that, and particularly the strain that it puts on your heart. So when we were at when I was at the Scripps event over the weekend, probably the most consistent message that came out about heart health, in spite of all the other details we got, was that right at the foundation of heart health is weight management. And we've known that in neolife for a long time. Matter of fact, we talk about weight management and activity, exercise being the foundation of of health. If you look at the way we present our data, it's got those two things at the foundation. And the reason is that the two are closely related, right? If you're going to manage your weight, you probably need to have some exercise, right? That's the important component. Doesn't mean to be go to the gym, or it can be dance, or swim, or sing, or whatever you want to do to get your body in motion. Conversely, if you're not exercising, you're going to lose control of your weight, and if you lose control of your weight, the probability of exercising goes down. So the two play both ways. When you're active, your weight's easier to manage, and when you're managing your weight, it's easier to be active. But when the reverse is true, it creates a problem that most people confront so in that particular case it's fundamental to everything about your health but really fundamental to your uh, to your heart health cardiovascular health
1: very important now you touched on this briefly before and i know we talked a lot about it and that is the fact that diabetes managing our blood glucose levels in response to heart health and how important it is i know because of the implications of diabetes in the us really big important problem with heart health can you touch briefly on that
2: Sure. Um, you know, a long time ago, the Scientific Advisory Board began to investigate sugar, simple carbohydrates. I mean, that goes way back, probably into the 70s, where we began, we looked at how sugar enters the body and knew back then it was going to be a big problem. Even though the statistics for heart disease and diabetes and things like that were much different than, than they are now. And over all those years, we drove ourselves with that direction. Matter of fact, in our weight loss programs, in our weight management programs, carbohydrate metabolism plays a key role. We call it glycemic response control, but glycemic response control is just the the science of how carbohydrates are digested to glucose and how that in glucose enters your bloodstream and what the impacts are of that immediately, hyperglycemia, or long-term, which is would be setting you up for like diabetes. So we spend a lot of time on that. The rewards of that have been tremendous. You know, we when we developed our, our weight loss program, we developed it around glycemic response control, and when we did the clinical trials to prove the effectiveness of the product, we saw a lot of benefit. Certainly, because it's GR control, we saw the benefit associated with that effect, keeping the blood glucose from spiking the way it it can in so many other food sources. We also showed not just weight loss from it, which was really very good, And as well as body size loss, what we call anthropometric measure, which is how big your key points of your body are, your waist-hip ratios, your upper arms, thighs, and so on. All of those things going down. But we saw improvements in cardiovascular risk factors. One of those risk factors that was most important is the relationship between cholesterol, you know, total cholesterol and LDL to HDL and all of those sorts of ratios in there that the cardiologists tend to focus on. And they're right to be focusing on them. And what we showed in our clinical trials is that the Neolife Weight Loss Program not only causes weight loss, but actually promotes heart health. And it promotes heart health by managing, helping your body manage those cholesterol ratios more effectively. Matter of fact, people in the study showed that they reduced their total cholesterol. They reduced their LDL, bad cholesterol, to total cholesterol ratio. They preserved their HDL, that was the good cholesterol, improved the HDL to LDL ratio. All of the things that your cardiologist and your primary care physician would be excited about if they saw happen. So out of that glycemic response control, though, that wasn't the end of the line for us as we continued to look at the challenge associated with carbohydrates in the body. We began to focus more and more of our attention on on blood glucose and blood glucose regulation. Glycemic response control, as I said, is about understanding blood glucose and what happens as it enters the body. So when we took that research a little further, we began to understand that for huge portions of the population, managing blood glucose was becoming nearly an impossibility because of the foods that they consume and the length of time that they've been consuming it and the lifestyle that they live with and the lack of sort of fundamentals of exercise and so on. They were setting themselves up on a path to end up with what I will call glucose mismanagement. Okay, Normally your body can manage it, but you end up with glucose mismanagement. And it comes from a number of reasons, but diet is a big driver. So as we began to research this, we found that there's actually ways to use biologically active whole food compounds to help people manage blood glucose levels beyond just the glucose control, glycemic response control. And it related to certain compounds. And from studying those compounds, we were able to put together a product called Glucose Balance. And Glucose Balance is a product designed to do just exactly what it says. It's not a drug in the sense that it's going to take complete control of your glucose, and you can just go pig out on anything and, and you'll be fine. It's really a, a natural, biologically active tool from Whole Foods and the like that you can give to your body that helps your body do what it needs to do. So it's not doing it for the body. It's empowering the body to take care of this. Much, much better way to do things because, you know, in the end you want your body to be dealing with it. Because if you're on a drug and the drug's dealing with it and then the drug goes away or something changes and now your body can't deal with it, then you create what we call rebound mortality. Meaning that the drug disappears and it was such a crutch that when it's taken away, it puts you on a, uh, a fast track to a gravestone, so to speak, because the body was never empowered to do that. So in this case we wanted to just empower the body to do that. We leaned very heavily on scientific data to put the product together that showed that we can influence glucose in two primary ways. One is called fasting blood glucose, which is the one when you get up in the morning. In theory, if you haven't been eating while you're asleep, you have been fasting, so when you get up in the morning before you break fast, have your breakfast, you take your blood glucose reading and that'll give you your fasting blood glucose. It's a reflection of how your body was managing glucose in the period while you were asleep, not messing with it, right? And hopefully you wake up and your fasting blood glucose is in the 90s or right around certainly no more than 100 would be good. If it's higher than that, then maybe you should stop having that bowl of ice cream right before you go to bed <laughs> or whatever party it is party. that's, a, you know, milk chocolate bar, whatever it is people do. Or you just might need a little help. And that's really where glucose balance come in to give you that little bit of help. We manage, help you manage the whole process by managing it in, in two particular play, two ways. It's called postprandial blood glucose. Postprandial is a fancy way of saying after dinner or after breakfast, it means after you have consumed food. and this comes back again to glycemic response control, where if you consume something, um, very often you'll get a glucose spike, which would be a postprandial glucose spike, right? So if you're consuming a carbohydrate-rich food that doesn't have much else going for it, you will get a big postprandial glucose spike. No matter what you're doing, having glucose balance in there is gonna help you manage that postprandial blood glucose, and blood glucose level after you eat. And the combination of those two things, helping your body manage um, blood glucose while you're asleep, while you're fasting, and also helping your body manage blood glucose after the sort of points where they enter the bloodstream after, after meals can really put you uh, on a course of just assisting your body with the challenges. Best case scenario, of course, is to avoid anything that tastes good because standard american diet the things that taste the best are usually the things that are the worst for you for a lot of people anyway and but for folks that are having a little difficulty or concerned about managing blood glucose certainly glucose balance is a great step
1: that's great to know and great to hear now i hear we talked about weight loss we talked about managing our blood glucose levels and now with processed foods being so high, and just the world we live in today, anything that tastes good, yes, probably not so good for you. And Neolife is a great time, great way in having those whole food sources that fill those nutritional gaps. But it's so hard to have all the recommended fruits, vegetables, fish. Can you talk about how this impacts our heart health and some solutions we may have?
2: Sure. diet. Is fundamental to heart health. Everything in your body is fundamental to your diet. I mean, you know, the quality of what you give your body is going to determine the quality that it provides you with in return. So if you're giving your body junk, you can expect to get junk back. Okay, if you're giving your body high quality, you can expect to get higher quality back. It's just the rules. Okay. <laughs> it's not, not, not really very complicated, it's just the rules. The evidence of this really started to take form in the late 1970s when the U.S. Department of Agriculture generated the first NHANES studies, the National Health and Nutrition Evaluation Surveys. And they were really very basic concepts at the time. And it was because just observation in the medical and academic community had shown that people with certain dietary patterns lived longer than the other folks. I mean, some people died young and knew, knew why, and other people lived to be old age. And they began to discern that, that there were certain things about it. And when it came to the food it became apparent to them that certain people eat certain things live longer than people that eat other things, specifically people who have the diets that have the most fruits and vegetables and things like that in them tend to live longer than people that don't have those in them. And they break it down into quartiles or quintiles, and they can show big changes. So if you're in the high fruit and vegetable consumption group, you have a much lower probability of being in the other end of the spectrum, the low fruits and vegetable consumption group. Matter of fact, a person in the low fruit and vegetable consumption group might have a two or three times greater likelihood of dying from heart disease or some other chronic disease than somebody in the upper end. Some of that you can deal with. Most of it, though, is just available to you through dietary and lifestyle manipulation. So as USDA went on, they did an NHANES 1, NHANES 2, NHANES 3. I think we're up to like NHANES 7 or 8 now. And as we, as they went through the data, they found that of those fruits and vegetables, there's certain types of fruit, fruits and vegetables offered better protection, if you will, or health promotion than, than others. They saw that potatoes, weren't really great health promoters yet. Carrots seemed to be, so they began to understand that fruits and vegetables of color were the big drivers. And so, people who had diets that contained the most fruits and vegetables of color lived longer than people who didn't have that. As they began to look at that even further in the 80s, they discovered that there were of those colors, there were those colors that were sort of. Uh, lipid soluble and those colors that were water soluble. Today we know those as carotenoids or lipid soluble colors. It's the things that make carrots, tomatoes, spinach, red bell peppers and stuff have the color that they have. And the water soluble ones are the flavonoids or polyphenols. It's the things that make the grapes and the green tea and the berries and stuff like that have the color they have. And that both of those were protective, but we began to fraction that out. The first ones that came out was the relationship between disease in general and heart health in particular and carotenoids. Carotenoids, are the the pigments, like I said, that make carrots orange and red bell peppers red and tomatoes red and apricots orange and stuff like that. So as we were doing that work back in the 1980s, we embarked upon an idea of saying, well, when we look at the data, what we want to do is we want to maximize the presence of these things. The reason that the FDA or the USDA was so focused on it at the time as they had identified these bioactives. So we began working with them and developed a way to extract carotenoids from Fruits and vegetables. And it was very revolutionary at the time. This is the 1980s, and nobody else was doing this work. So much so that when we uh, finally introduced the product and did a bioavailability study, it was the first time ever that it had been shown that you can take the bioactive carotenoids from whole foods and extract them and enrobe them in olive oil and put them in a gelatin capsule and deliver them to people, have them get in the bloodstream. By modern standards, that's pretty basic, but by those standards, it was revolutionary to the point that it got the attention of the New York Academy of Sciences, who invited us to a very important meeting called Crotenoids in Human Health, where we got up at the front of the room and presented this study, which was, oh, wow, you know, we got a lot of people's attention. And we knew that there was going to be an association to heart health, and so did folks from the USDA. Matter of fact, shortly after that study, we were, or after that that meeting, we were approached by researchers from the USDA who wanted to do some studies using carotenoid complex as the test model. And, and we agreed, after a while, to do that. And then they went on to test it and prove another a bunch of things actually. First of all they proved that it was bioavailable as we had proved because science always likes to replicate what it has just done. So that just made sure that there were no anomalies in our data that made it something else. And then they went on to show a number of things but from a heart perspective, for the first time ever, it was shown that certain carotenoids, when they're absorbed into the bloodstream, actually connect up to LDL cholesterol and prevent oxidative events from attacking that LDL cholesterol. Why that's so important is because the oxidative modification of LDL cholesterol is the, one of, is if not the primary mechanism of atherosclerosis, the generation of plaque in the arteries. Um, it's certainly right up at the top. So we thank the US Department of Agriculture for proving that carotenoid complex actually prevents, helps prevent heart disease anyway by blocking that activity. Really important stuff.
1: Yes, very important. So now we have our fruits, we have our vegetables, we have our flavonoids, even our tray, which is composed of um, flavonoids, yep. and then also our omega-3s. Yep. I know those are super important for heart health. Yep. Why is Neolife's omega-3s important?
2: Well, you know, all of the things we sell are actually pretty important simply because of the way we investigate them. Before I touch on omega-3s, I, when I was at Scripps, I brought back something that I wanted to share with you and everybody else, and it's, it's, I, you know, I like these big studies that get done. Big studies are where there's a lot of people over a long period of time because of the quality of the evidence coming at the end gets more and more solid. This one was a, uh, a meta-analysis of flavonoid intake published in the in the Journal of uh, Clinical Nutrition, and it followed 338,541 subjects for 12.8 years, and just from Looking at flavonoids alone, they said high intake of flavonoids was associated with a 14% lower risk of cardiovascular death and or death from all causes. So it goes to show you the power of flavonoids. And it's it comes back to that same sort of story I was telling about carotenoids. These bioactive substances are really, really important. Now omega-3s are sort of a different sort of animal because they don't come from fruits and vegetables. So you can get some from plants for sure. They don't come ready to use, if you will, in the body. The body has to go through all of this sort of a process of Saturation, desaturation, elongation uh, takes a long time, and the body's not really that efficient at it, to be honest with you. But omega-3s are, are absolutely fundamental to how your body works, and in particular to heart health. So years ago, we embarked on this idea of adding omega-3s to the product line. Again, from the epidemiology, we know that people who have the highest amounts of omega-3 fatty acids in their diet have the lowest incidence of heart disease and other diseases related to inflammatory conditions. That would be arthritis, rheumatoid, and osteoarthritis. And any sort of itis, if you will, all itis are inflammations. tie, <laughs> I guess, would be. But anyway, but particularly for heart health, that the results were really astounding in the sense of how much it improved cardiovascular health. So when we first started researching that, it was way back in the 1970s. Matter of fact, we brought our first omega-3 supplement to market in the late 1970s, salmon oil, which was, while the rest of the industry was off doing essentially anything and making it about one omega-3, we brought the best, most biocompatible form of omega-3s to the Supplement market that you could, pure natural salmon oil. But over the years, we've continued to watch the data very closely, and we knew that there was more going on to the omega 3 fatty acid story than was being presented to the population through the marketing media and through the traditional sort of academic pathways, and certainly through medical application. Medicine dominated by pharmacy wanted to find one thing. So they were always trying to tell you about EPA, one omega-3 fatty acid, or DHA, one omega-3 fatty acid. On occasion, they'd mention the two together. But essentially, they were looking for a pharmacologic one thing gives one response, a dose-response relationship, which almost never happens in nutrition because it's nutrition. It isn't drug therapy. It's food therapy, and there's too many synergies and too many interrelationships in the nutrient profile. So as we continue to investigate omega-3s, we began to, find that there was more to the story just in terms of what really constituted omega-3 fats. From looking at the data, looking at the food supply and investigating it, we eventually discovered that there are eight omega-3 fatty acids involved in human nutrition. And even though, even to this day, the majority of the, uh, our competitors or the marketplace out there is dominated by a couple to EPA and DHA in terms of the words, the language, and promotion. Really, the whole body needs all of them. Nature intended us to get all eight of these things out of the food supply, and uh, we like to pay attention to nature. So we found ways to do that. We developed unique technologies of molecular differentiation process that allowed us to not only identify all eight of these omega-3 fatty acids, but assure that... We can put out a product that contains all eight of them every time. More complicated than you might think. But uh, it's a technology that we developed that, to this point, uh, no one else has. And I don't think anybody ever will do molecular differentiation simply because what would be the point? they'd only be copying us, and we'd make it known. But sure enough, we found out that in these all eight of these omega-3 fatty acids, there was a relationship. The primary ones, EPA and DHA, are certainly involved in heart health and brain health, and there's this old saying about what's good for the heart is good for the brain, or what's good for the brain is good for the heart, and certainly from omega-3s, that's the case. But there's a, an omega-3 that rides between those two. There's icosapentanoic and docosahexaenoic, and right in the middle is a one called docosapentaenoic, sort of it's like a, and it's just a step in the process. And we found years ago now, probably in the late 2007, 8, 9, somewhere in there, evidence that the relationship between EPA and DHA is not as strong as the relationship between DPA and DHA when it comes to heart health. Matter of fact, DPA in the diet was a more consistent marker of heart risk if it's not there, or heart health if it is there, than either EPA or DHA separately. Really important finding. We also found that one of the unique things about EPA, DPA, and DHA is that it's a two-way street. Everything else in omega-3 fatty acid supplementation is a one-way street. It goes all the way up and cannot go backwards, but DPA, EPA, DPA, and DHA revolve around and can support each other. It's a really synergistic relationship, and DPA is the important bridging mechanism in that relationship that allows EPA to be DHA or DHA to be EPA as needed by the body, and that role, the relationship between those three synergistically is what drives the heart health benefit, not only in terms of blood chemistry, but in the flexibility of the vascular system, the strength of the heart muscle, the way that the blood flows through the body blood platelet aggregation, the resistance that it flows through your pains and arteries. All of those things relate to the relationship of those three. When I was at Scripps, again, they they made a big issue of this at Scripps. They're finally coming around to this understanding, and every time I speak to the Scripps people down there, they are just sort of open their eyes and go, well, wow. but because of the pace of science at that academic level, they take one step at a time. And because we started taking those steps 30 years ago, we tend to stay at the forefront. But one of the things they pointed out, there was an interesting couple of things, stats here. One of those was, again, I like big studies. This one was 93, no, 732,000 subjects in this total study. This is another one of these meta-analysis. And they came up with all this data. EPA to DHA was associated with this and that and the other thing, Um, reduction of uh, triglycerides and the like. But the conclusion here was that one gram or more a day of a broad-spectrum omega-3 fatty acid supplement was equivalent to a 25% reduction in coronary heart disease events of all kinds. So that's heart attack, that's angina, that's arrhythmias, all of those sorts of things, all of those things. It talks about how fundamental these things are to the heart. It's not just about pumping blood and the like. It's about just how the whole cardiovascular system works. And I thought it was really important. That's a big study. It's called the Mayo Clinic Omega-3 Meta-Analysis Study, published just last year, late last year. Really important. There was another one done that looked at 14 randomized controlled trials of 71,899 folks, and that showed that uh, one gram a day of omega-3 fatty acids, again, equated to somewhere between a 13 and 30 percent reduction in risk of heart disease for the general population. When you think of it, these are just single step things that you do in your life. It's really, I think, important for folks to realize that all of these things we're talking about is single steps and when you put them together you get this sort of synergy just like you do in the formulation. Interestingly enough, one of the studies that came up, it was an evaluation of 17 other studies, I think ours was in the mix here, from around the world that measured EPA, DHA, DPA, and ALAs, first time they've looked at four of the eight omega-3 fatty acids together from seafood sources, just like us, wonder how they got there. And, and it says, based upon the, the available studies, both long, long chain, that would be the EPA, DHA chain, and intermediate chain, those, those would be the ones that are in the icosatrianoic, tetranoic, pentanoic, below EPA, um, was associated with a lower risk of fatal coronary heart disease. So. Um the thing about uh, salmon oil plus It makes it stand out is not only the formulation, but the benefits that we got, the, the clinical trial proof that we are able to get about how this thing helps you out. Uh, those who have been around Neolife for a while know that there's tremendous clinical evidence about what salmon oil plus can do. Um, reducing triglycerides, uh, people came into the population had elevated triglycerides, brought their triglycerides down really quickly, better than the usually prescribed drugs without any of the side effects. The other thing about it is that people who didn't need to have their triglycerides lowered, it didn't do anything. So it just normalized the body's ability to manage triglycerides. It also um, improved HDL to LDL ratios, boosted the production of HDL, and but more importantly, it looked at the background of cardiovascular risk factors. Uh, one of those is called your omega-3 index and the other is the inflammatory index, and it had tremendous clinically significant benefit to both of those indices, uh, moving you from being the mass of the population in the study from being at risk to being not at risk. You know, a very clinically relevant study uh, met the peer review process, was presented at, at a meeting of the American Society for Nutrition and published in the journal Nutrition shortly after so again there's another one of those bits of clinical evidence that are that are the Neo life difference right you don't have to does this product work no there's actual human clinical trial proof that it works it's true of this it's true of our weight loss program true of our carotenoids it's true of true of everything that we have that in is remarkable product.
1: very important and i know you were saying how um, academia is getting on board and how we have science to support it another product or another study that we were talking about before is cookie den yes so an individual goes in gets their medication Medication. It mm-hmm. helps, but unfortunately, we're finding that a lot of the statins and the medications are lowering our CoQ10 levels. Can you talk to everyone a little bit about that? I I found it to be eye-opening.
2: Yeah, it's sort of, you know, statin drugs are a strange thing, you know, because they give you statin drugs to promote heart health, but statin drugs actually are now known to also, adversely affect heart health. Not only statin drugs, but beta blockers and all sorts of other things tend to affect heart health. And the way they do that is, you know, the heart is a muscle, and muscles are very dense in their need to produce energy. And to produce energy in, in the heart, you have to have all of these cellular cells, heart muscle cells that produce energy. And each one of those muscle cells is dependent upon the mitochondria that it contains to actually make that energy. So the heart has got the most mitochondrial, the most energy building components of you of tissue than any other organ in the body. So from that context, your heart is really dependent upon um, the ability to produce energy at the mitochondrial level. The problem is that statins, which m- manipulate cholesterol and you know block the synthesis of cholesterol, depending upon which statin you use, block the synthesis of the cholesterol in the, in the liver, also block the production of key mitochondrial energy generating component called coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 is a naturally manufactured manufactured element of the body that is used in the mitochondrial membranes of cells to produce energy that participates in what's called the electron transport chain, the movement of electrons from point A to point B that forms the fuel, ATP, that the cell eventually burns for energy. The problem with statins is, though it's controlling cholesterol, it's also knocking down CoQ10 production. So at the same time, that you're trying to protect the heart, you're actually doing it damage because the heart is the most energy producing organ in your body, 24-7, 365, it's also the most mitochondrially dense energy, so it has the highest CoQ10 need. In the body and just because like all the cells of your bodies are, are being renewed muscle cells heart cells are being renewed all the time and every time you build new muscle cells you got to build new mitochondria to fuel those and if you don't have CoQ10 not only can you not build mitochondria you can't fuel them anyway so it creates this sort of trap I think if you go to your cardiologist and or your primary care physician and they say we want to put you on a statin drug you should ask for why, and have a good serious conversation with them about alternatives. If it turns out that for your particular situation, your cardiologist feels this is the best solution for you, who am I to get in their way, but then have that conversation with them that says, okay, no, I know that statins help me my cholesterol, but that they offer some challenges regarding to my heart muscle function particularly this thing called coenzyme q ten. And if you're if your cardiologist is dialed in even a little bit, they will say yes. Matter of fact, a lot of cardiologists put you on a statin drug and recommend coQ ten, because it's not a drug, they can't prescribe it. They recommend coq ten right away. It's really, really important. So that was part of the thing that drove us towards this idea of producing coenzyme Q10. There were a lot of challenges for us. We have very strict belief in nature and up until just recently, natural source CoQ10 for supplemental purposes wasn't available. Everything was synthetically derived. It was supplied by two Japanese companies who owned the patents on these things. But recently, um, by working closely with some of the best raw material developers in the world, we came up with a all-natural plant source, actually made from corn source carbohydrates, way to get CoQ10 in the diet, and that enabled us to bring it to the population, to the marketplace, if you will.
1: That is remarkable. Now, you just spoke about recommendations and how another um, Germany, we were discussing before, goes ahead and if there's someone with heart health, they'll actually provide them with a garlic supplement as our first line. Now I know we have a garlic supplement, and so wanted to see if you could say, or tell everyone about how remarkable Neolife was to come out with a product like garlic, yeah. Allium Complex.
2: Okay, you know, we spend a lot of time looking, paying attention to what we've learned from the past, and I, humans have known about the benefits of garlic for a long, long time. Back in the times of and and Hippocrates and those guys, who had very little pharmacy at their at their beg and call knew that these things had some certain powers, and of course everybody knows that garlic prevents or bites off vampires. So it's got this sort of mixed review. But there was a direct association in by observation of these really brilliant uh, observers, which is pretty much what Dioscorides uh, and Hippocrates were. That showed that there was a benefit, and over all of the centuries since then, um, that benefit has been more and more apparent. And modern science, and modern science being in the last 50, 60 years, has allowed us to delve in and start to understand why that's true and the Germans were probably the first one to take it seriously enough to dig, dig in. We were looking at it about the same time they were, but they developed a, a very intense sort of analytical process to look into how it works. So to make a long story short, um, as a result, they found that garlic is and, and allium vegetables in general are very, very cardioprotective, which is why if you uh, are in Germany, like you said, and you have a problem with heart health, heart disease, a risk of heart disease, have a problem with your heart health, um, the first choice for for treatment is very likely going to be a garlic supplement that they will recommend and or prescribe and that it'll be important that, that the garlic have certain features and properties and particularly they want it to have 4200 micrograms of a thing called Allian, which is the active component in garlic so and to this day that remains one of the primary things that they that they recommend for heart health from our perspective we sort of knew all of this relationship and we knew that when you consume garlic, the sulfur compounds it contains gets into your blood, and maybe that's why they vampires don't like it. I'm not sure, but that stuff that makes garlic smell so bad gets into your blood. But analysis analysis showed that that there were certain bioactive substances in garlic, in particular this thing called Allian. and which is what the Germans had focused on. So when we started looking at garlic and we started understanding how it works, we began with the basics. If you take a garlic clove and you smell it, it doesn't smell very strong. You can tell it's garlic, but it doesn't have a big, strong sort of odor to it. But if you crush it, and wait a minute, you'll get a really big odor out of it. And the reason that's true is because in the whole intact garlic clove, there's two components that are kept apart from each other. One of those is allicin, and the other one is alanase. Alanase is an enzyme. Okay, and when you crush the garlic, the alanase reacts with the allicin and produces this pungent odor, which is the odor and flavor of garlic, the sulfur compounds, and that's in the presence of allien. That's what makes Allian. So what we found though is that from a dietary supplement perspective, that was a real challenge because first of all, stabilizing those two components so that they're there together, the allian, allicin and the allinase and they behave each other, behave themselves and don't quarrel or anything, just stay there in stasis was not not an easy trick. But we eventually figured out how to get them to do that. But we also found that if you just do that and you put it in the stomach, the stomach acid tends to treat all sort of enzymes the same way. It sees the allanase, the enzyme, simply as a protein, and the hydrochloric acid acts on that protein literally annihilating the enzyme. So the the enzyme has to be present to activate the allicin, so even though you're getting the allicin, you're not getting the ally in the bioactive component because the enzyme is gone. So you have to coordinate all of this. Out of our research, we developed a targeted delivery technology that enabled us not only to, to deliver the alanase and the allicin together, but to enrobe them in a way so that they pass through the stomach acid intact, and when they arrive in the the warm, moist regions of the intestine where the Allian is most needed is where they break down and react together, releasing the bioactive compound at the site of of greatest probability of absorption and benefit. That combination is what makes that product so unique. So not only does it deliver the medicinally important 4,200 micrograms of Allian per dose, just like the Germans recommend, but it delivers it right to the target where it's going to do the most benefit.
1: Very important. So. The sad reality is, like you said, we have a huge problem, but the truth of the matter is is that this is something that we can prevent or help um, and work on. And so I know we want weight management, we want to help monitor our blood glucose levels, and we even want to go and have a healthy diet. Yep. That is perfect. Well, thank you so much. And in closing, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With that said, I want to thank you so very much. We are coming up on Valentine's Day, and I'm so very thankful for you, and I know everyone is as well. We really appreciate this, and with that said, everyone have a great night.